It's not a midlife crisis, it's a midlife career pivot experiment called Fork in the Road. And I'm the human guinea pig, Andy Marshall, who's got the gall to attempt to have a successful career doing work I love, creative work, and throw that notion of a starving artist out the window. Then take the elevator down to the ground floor and jump on it some more. And I'm going to keep doing this every day on the podcast. So let's go. Welcome to Fork in the Road. Today we have lucky to have Michael Worf on the podcast. I want to be doing a lot more um, interview style podcasts on the Fork in the Road podcast and kind of concentrate more on, you know, uh, talking about their art, but also talking a lot about the business of their art because a, a lot of times we talk about the creation of the art, but it's uh, it's another thing to create it, but then it's another thing to get it out there to the world. So that's kind of this is Fork in the Road 2.0. <laughs> and so um, Michael Worf is a traditional style artist. You work in pen and ink. You work uh, oil oil paintings and water watercolour paintings. Um, I suppose we'd call you a traditional style artist because you don't use digital stuff much. Um, you have a podcast, the All Walks of Art podcast, and a blog as well as doing all your art. And now you're um streaming live on twitch yeah. how are you going <laughs> how, <laughs> I'm, I'm how, doing... how, how, how's, your, how's your 2020 <laughs> going good so far i haven't had to had i've actually took uh since just before christmas i took a uh, vacation so i've been somewhat on a vacation i still have done the podcast done some editing played in the studio you know just i can't divorce myself from it the whole time while i'm on vacation but uh um yeah, I'm 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 on a vacation from my regular work. I don't go back to work until tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening. So, uh, which you're already in tomorrow. You're what thirteen yeah. and a half hours difference from me. So, uh, it's eight o'clock here uh, on the eastern seaboard of the United States. And uh, so, yeah, I've been just taking it easy a little bit, uh, soaking up some stuff. I've got a lot going on actually. Uh, going into some new software, um, switching around a little bit. I want to get away from Adobe a little bit. I'm kind of tired of the. Yeah subscription model i'd like to actually uh have some software that updates without having to pay for updates you know what i mean so i'm um, learning a lot of new software uh learning the ins and outs of live streaming uh that's difficult for me i'm one of those people who like to edit and go through and say okay i want to want to fix that not real crazy about this not real crazy about that but uh i'm learning that done is better than perfect <laughs> And uh, doing this is fun, you know, this live stuff and just getting out there and doing it. So, yeah, yeah good cool. good stuff. And, and what's drawn you to, because um, I noticed you're, are you primarily um, streaming on Twitch for your art? Yeah, for now, I'm, I'm all Twitch. Um, I do hope to do a little bit of, uh, I'll probably do some stuff on Instagram too. Uh, I've done some uh, pre-show stuff for my podcast on Instagram, uh, different things like that. But uh, YouTube is another thing I'd like to start streaming on live as well. I just don't want to do them all at once. So I'm going to try to figure out a way to make them special for each platform. So I haven't okay. figured that out yet. Yeah, that's interesting because I know there's um, a tendency to multi-stream. Like people will like, um, because I've been doing it, I, I stream to YouTube, um, to Twitch, and to uh, Periscope, which goes mm -hmm. out to Twitter. Um, but really YouTube is kind of where the people are at. I don't, I don't find 
anyone on Twitch. I, I don't really get Twitch. I just thought I'd make an account and put it there. <laughs> um, and, and the problem is as well is with Instagram isn't compatible with any kind of multi-streaming at all. You have to do completely unique multi-streaming right. on right. Instagram. Um, so I suppose because you are on Twitch, how do you how do you get an audience on Twitch if you don't um, yeah, it, because people don't find you as a way of a, um, what do you call it, an algorithm. You've got to kind of bring people in. How do you bring your people in to Twitch? That's a, that's a very good question. Uh, Twitch in and of itself is not really a good search engine. So we don't go in. I don't think anybody really goes on and, and says, okay, I want to find this guy because you don't know that they're there really or this, this woman or whoever. Algorithm will suggest people to find that, that you might like, right? So that might be good for finding people, but how do you reach your audience? And that's, that's I guess your question is, how do you reach an audience there? And for me, it's been uh, sending out tweets on Twitter, uh, letting people know on Facebook and letting people know on Instagram that I'm on uh, live or uh, whatever on Twitch. And I think my biggest growth on there so far, and I haven't been on there very long, um, but the biggest growth for me has happened by just hanging out in other streams and being part of the community. So it, I, th I feel like it's a little more community driven than just getting it out there, if that makes any sense. So you kind of have to pay your dues a little bit. People might start watching you and, and that sort of thing. So it's, there is a commitment there. I'm not totally on board with Twitch yet. I'm still kind of playing around with it, seeing if it's something I really want to do. I like the process of it. I like being able to just jump in and, turn the cameras on and draw, but I'm not really sure about the growth. I don't know where it's going to go and how long it's going to take. So I guess time yeah. will tell. And really we have, as artists, we have a lot in line with um, gamers who uh, live stream in terms of, because, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of live streaming gamers can receive donations and things like that while they're live streaming. Mm. Um, and there are monetary ways that we, you know, you can get back from your community while you're, while you're live streaming. And I know, um, I don't know what, if there's any barriers for Twitch, but I know you can do it on Twitch. And I've heard, I've heard rumors that it's coming to Instagram um, because they're wanting to kind of do uh, what they've been doing in um, Asia for a while now is like live shopping, you know, like people like, oh trying on clothes and stuff like that and they go you can buy this right now click on the screen and you can buy that you know hat or whatever um you know it might be a good option to be able to do that kind of stuff with yeah. art as well um so i'm kind of thinking instagram and and twitch might might be good but yeah so how so how are you finding um uh you know what twitch is good for in terms of uh growing your community have you met lots of new people yeah i i've gotten pretty good support uh from quite a few people and uh twitch uses discord quite a bit too uh they they really i should say the community uses discord quite a bit so you have this on the surface live thing going on um but then there's also this sub community of people who just get into the different uh servers that each of the artists produce now keep in mind um Twitch is opening up to a lot of different um, kind of subject topics. Uh, so it's not just uh, 
uh, art or it's not just gaming or anything. Now, gaming's still really huge. Like, if you get on there at any given time, it's between, I'm going to say between a quarter of a, a million and half a million viewers watching games, right? Or participating in the gaming platform of Twitch. Whereas art, uh, it's it's between ten and 20,000. So it's not really very big yet. But there there is a lot of people there. And it, it, I grew pretty quick in the couple of months that I've been on there. I've, I, I grew there faster than I did on YouTube. I'm not trying to compare it with YouTube because they're two different, two different animals, really. But um, the barrier to making money is lower. So you get your first 50 followers, a certain number of average uh, viewers per stream, per all your hours and things. There's an average there. And, um, it just becomes really easy to monetize really quick. And it really doesn't take very long after that, that you actually start seeing a little bit of residuals coming in. Now it's not a lot. It might be enough to buy a cup of coffee or whatever for a while, <laughs> but, but I know some people who do really well and, you know, subscribers, you know, help because you can, that's the difference between, I guess the big difference between YouTube and Twitch is that on Twitch, you have followers, they can follow for free and then your subscribers pay and you can even tailor your streams based on, I only want followers to be able to uh, comment or I only want subscribers to be able to comment and things like that. So there's, there's some benefits to the folks who do things for you there, but then uh, there's donations and, I think for an artist, it's a good place to be because you can share what you do. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of just saying exposure helps, but I think having a platform someplace where people might find you is beneficial. Plus it's just, for me, it's a, it's a reason to draw, <laughs> turn the camera yeah. on and draw, you know, anything that gets me in the studio working is good. Yeah. I, I think, I think the live streaming art is kind of like, uh, I, I kind of relate it to, um, busking in a way you know yeah. as, especially with the donation kind of aspect to it um you know if you were doing it on a street corner and people you know just walking past and give you a bit of money here and there um and it's a good way just to i think get your get your art out to the world and and what, I, what i've seen you doing is a lot is mainly um uh ink drawings and things like that what, what's your um history as an artist like where did you where did you start? Did you study? Um, what, and what's drawn you to the kind of traditional styles of your artwork? Well, I'm old. <laughs> hey, you're, you're not much, I think you're about one year older than me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm all kidding aside. I started out, I was, I was little. I think like most artists, we, we just, we never get out of that phase where we like to draw. Right. You just you started it sometime one day, somebody gave you a crayon and a piece of paper, or a coloring book or something, and you just haven't stopped. And I think that's pretty common for artists in general. But for me, um, my dad really was a pretty good influence on me. He was an artist. So um, he would sit down with me at the kitchen table or the dining room table and say, here, Mike, draw this and you know, work on this. And then he'd come home from work. He'd bring he'd stop at the art store on the way home and get a Walter T Foster book on how to draw dogs and how to draw animals. And, um, it all, it all kind of started with that. And I really, when I got my first, um, uh, speedball ink pen was when I really, I was like, wow, I really like ink. This is fun. It's messy. 
<laughs> and I destroyed a lot of carpet in our house as a kid, but you know, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. I just really, I dug onto that and, uh, that kind of led me into, I liked pastel. I, I did a lot of that. Uh, the drawing mediums were always kind of the thing. And I steered away from brushes cause I just didn't always made a mess. Right. And I don't know, one day I decided that I would give watercolor a try over top the ink and do more of an illustration kind of look to it. And then I discovered gouache and I discovered acrylics and I was like, Hey, this is fun. And, um, I had a, a good friend of mine. He's an artist in Texas passed away, uh, quite some time ago, but he, he said, Mike, you know, if you really want to go anywhere with your art, you need to learn how to paint with oils. And I, I said, Jack, I've done oils. I'm not very good at it. Um, you know, I just, it's a mess, right? You know, and I just, uh, I didn't want to do it. And then it clicked, right? I got away from everything that was telling me to do it this way or that way. And I realized that my color preferences were a lot like the, the Dutch masters that I admired. And I went out and I said, you know, let's, let's develop this a little bit. Maybe I'm a, applying it wrong. Maybe I don't know the technique, the proper techniques. And then I started learning how to do it based on my, my drawing style and my painting style. And then it all kind of came together and, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. I know it's, I know we're using a backwards camera, but like this, this painting here, yeah. uh, behind me, it's, it's not varnished yet, but, um, yeah, that's, that's exactly the kind of stuff I enjoy doing. And that's, that's what led me down that way. Uh, I've got an iPad pro coming, so I'm looking forward to playing with procreate. Uh, I see every, I'm always jealous of everybody online who gets to, to draw with their iPad and I'm like, I want to do that. So I, I did, yeah. I finally ordered one. I got me an Apple pencil and I'm going to dive in on that next. I think it's kind of playing around, at least have a sketchbook with me that way. Yeah. Cool. And, and with the encouragement for you, for, from your dad as, as him being an artist, did he work in an artistic field at all? He was very much a hobby artist doing it for fun. And then he was um, looking back. I, he was very much a, perfectionist in that the studio had to be right so he wasn't ready to put a studio in until my brother and i moved out <laughs> it was like uh dad when are you going to do this and, oh i'll get to it i'll get to it you know and he just kept putting things off and uh he did a few drawings when i was a kid and he really into pastel that's what he he enjoyed doing and uh did some things for uh the church he attended and and that but uh never never quite got him to where he was doing it but yeah he, he was a factory worker just like a lot of people in my region we uh he worked at the paper mill i work at the uh truck manufacturer so that's and, that's really the good jobs around here so yeah and, and what's the general um feeling as a family growing up was it was a, a possibility that you could actually work as an artist for a living or or, or was that always kind of like no you need a real job and oh then no! You need to be an artist. No, I was I was highly encouraged. Um, in fact, <laughs> looking back, I think my parents were trying to say, "Hey, don't do this. Go do that because that's what you love." And why aren't you trying? You know. And I I I don't know. I kind of giggle about it now. I was lucky. My mom was a musician. Uh, my grandpa on my mom my mom's dad was a musician. Um, so I had music in the family all the time and. Uh, dad being an artist and woodworker and things he just he was very very gifted in that category I was never really uh, really pushed to say I had to do this or that uh, I mean there was the occasional 
have a have a plan B, you know, have a fallback plan. But um, yeah, it was just go do what you love to do. And it was a, it was a big toss up because I was probably just as much into music as I am painting, and it, it was difficult because I, I, you know, it was it was the eighties. Everybody wanted to be a rock and roll star, right? And <laughs> I was a drummer, and I kept thinking, well, I'll just go, I'll go play in a band and paint. <laughs> do things yeah. do things like that so uh, it, it's just it was a bohemian lifestyle and I was kept I kept thinking to myself you know do I do I want to do this do I want to drag my family into this because I want to I want to get married I want to have kids that sort of thing and this was 17 year old me talking I didn't really know what I wanted and uh, a couple art schools showed some promise I probably should have went to art school but I ended up going to drafting school and learned how to be a draftsman uh, technical draftsman uh, doing plans and, and mechanical drawings and things like that. And I did that for a couple of years and basically moved on into uh, the factory that I'm in now because that's where the money is. And I constantly did the art on the side, did the photography on the side. And, you know, I, I had a camera in my hands when I was uh, probably seven, I think. But it was before I was 10 years old, I had a camera in my hands. In fact, Oh, it's it's out of the way. I won't get it. But it's a it's an old Exacta two for my Hagee, uh nineteen fifty three camera. It's the first camera I ever had. It's a thirty five millimeter. I still have it, still works. Fantastic yeah. little camera. Kinda of wondering with like, you know, the COVID thing, um and as musicians, as artists, I'm just kind of I think like it's it's tough now, but I kind of think with digital technology the way it is there's potentially a lot of opportunity if reimagine the whole thing, you know, like, you know, obviously live gigs are tough and uh, having your artwork in galleries is tough. Um, but I think if there was ever going to be a worldwide pandemic, uh, this year was a pretty good one because like if we had this 10 years ago, or before the internet, <laughs> we would have been extremely bored. Oh, I'd have and, been stir crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd have been a mess. Um, um, so kind of, has there been any kind of opportunities uh, which has kind of opened up for you as an artist because you've been locked down and because you've had to just use digital technology? Yeah, I think it, it, it pushed me to get into streaming, really, because I wanted to do more things with people. And streaming felt like the best way to do it. You know, I'm a very introverted type extrovert, if that makes any sense. I like being around a lot of people, but I like my own time. I like to be, you know, in my own space. And um, I don't really know a good way to put that. But streaming, it, it led to streaming for me. I bought another drum set. It's on its way. It's a digital drum set. Uh, the idea for it was mainly so I could do some music and send some files to somebody else and maybe even do some things online, you know, and, and – and, uh, even over Zoom, if, if we can get rid of the latency and things like that, you know, just a lot of things come out of it for me, really. Uh, it, it also opened my eyes to say, I got to build relationships with my collectors, my art collectors, people who are buying the artwork. I got to build a better relationship with them because I can't really expect my galleries to do the work. I can't expect uh, somebody else to handle it the way I would want to handle it, you know, and, uh, I know there's a little bit of a control freak type thing going on there too, but at, at some level 
I don't need thousands of buyers. Uh, in my case, a hundred really good fans that might, you know, 20 of them buy a painting every year can help me out tremendously. Um, yeah. You know, at my prices, it's, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of buyers to, yeah. to be a pretty decent income. Um, I do have things that are cheaper, but, you know, you can make prints and you can sell prints for the majority of people. But the 20 or 30 originals that you're able to paint in a year, if you can sell all those and make your entire income from that, that's, that's pretty cool too. And that's, yeah, so that's really what did it for me was, you know, I, I got to get, I guess to answer your question, cause I'm beating around the bush here a little bit, but the, uh, the pandemic really, it, it, in some ways it slowed me down and said, focus, you know, what, what do you want out of life? And, um, as much as I wish I could be a full-time everyday 24 seven artist, <laughs> um, I'm thankful that I have good health insurance and, and good benefits uh, through my employer. And I'm, I'm only about 10 years away from retiring anyway. So if I just stick it out, you know, and go with it, I'll have a nice nest egg for retirement. Um, I also have a retirement plan from them and I also have uh, healthcare benefits from them and I work 30 to 40 hours a week as an artist as it is. So it's not a full-time part-time thing for me. It's more about which one makes more money. So mm. it, it really got me thinking a lot. Yeah. And it would be good to, you know, as you retire, I mean, I, I have absolutely no retirement. My boss is an asshole. He's myself. And, um, <laughs> okay. but, 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 but like I'm being, um, I've, I've, I've always been like that. I have a hard time being employed. Um, yeah, I'm not a team player or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't know, but, but I feel that, you know, if you can build up enough, uh, a, a big enough body of work with elements that can be, um, oh, how do you call it? Pa passive income in a way. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, by the time I'm too old to be able to do anything, um, those things might be ticking over. Like if I can create, you know, it sounds outrageous, but, you know, like 50 books or something like that, 50 kids' books, which were always, you know, they're kind of evergreen. They're always out there right. in the mix. People are always buying them. I'm not talking about being ridiculously rich. I'm talking about being able to live in when I'm too old. <laughs> when I'm <laughs> right. Um, from your oh, employer. Back. Well, well, but you also have your art to kind of take you, take you across to it, and that will obviously fill that time space when you've retired. Yeah, That's, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good setup. Yeah, I'm. You know, some some would say, well, you're you're settling, you know, by by saying your job is good and you can just do this and do that. But I I really want to start for me. I think the the soapbox that I want to get on as an artist to help others is I want to just say it's okay to have a job. It's okay to do both. You know, you don't have to you know, make this gigantic leap. If you want to go ahead, if you're secure enough, if you got a safety net for yourself and, and you're, you're being, you know, smart about what you're doing, then, then by all means go do it. Um, to each their own, I guess, you know, I, I've never, I've never understood why there's so many people who really look down on P 
people who say, uh, like, like in my case, if I say I'm not a full-time artist, that's really kind of a lie because I, I work 30 to 40 hours a week. And if I say that I, I'm an artist, but I also have an employer, a lot of people look at me and say, well, you're just a hobbyist. It's a good thing you got a nice hobby that pays or whatever. It's like, well, it's a little more than a hobby, but, uh, you know, I get it. So I, I try to avoid the part-time, full-time um, label. I, I'd rather it be more of a, you know, are you a, do you have a job and your career as an artist or are you a dual career person? I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it if you can do it. Yeah. Cause I'm, yeah. you know, even when I retire from my regular job, I'm going to, I'm going to paint till they put me in a box, honestly. Hmm. So it's, that's just not going to happen. I'm not going to quit. Hmm. And it's the kind of thing you can do until they put you in a box as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could even get in a box and paint if that's what matters. You know? <laughs> that's right. Just don't paint yourself into a box. That's know. right. <laughs> or a corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's tough, man. I, I hope I answered that in a good yeah, way. Because, yeah, you know. Um, so, so given that your full-time kind of uh, work, um, how do you, what does your day look like or what does your week look like in terms of when you're working on your art and when you're at work and, and how do you fit that in and when are your creative times? How do you make all that work? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I start my day and end my day with art. So I, my, my regular career, my job, my employer requires me to be there from three thirty to midnight, Monday through Friday. So I'll get up in the morning, let's say 10 o'clock ish. I'll hit the studio and I'll work until say two, get ready for work and take off. When I get home around 1230 AM, I'll work one or two hours and prepare for the next day or whatever. I, I gotta be careful not to stay up too late. Cause then I just ruin my next, my next morning of work. Uh, but then I'll work a little bit and then come the weekend, I'll try to try to do four to six hours on a Saturday and four to six hours on a Sunday, depending on what I'm working on. Getting to your podcast, the All Walks of Art podcast, as a visual artist, what what drew you to um, create a podcast? Oh, yeah, that's a uh, that's a good question, because uh, I don't actually get to share it very much. <laughs> so. Uh, so I mentioned I did photography and this is kind of a long winded story, but it, it might help a little bit. Uh, I was working for a heavy metal, hard rock magazine and I'd go out and I would do, um, you know, I'd photograph bands at concerts and I'd write interviews and things like that. And I realized that I really enjoy sitting down with people and talking about their art. And uh, a couple issues in the editor and founder, he asked me, he said, uh, Hey, you, you drink them crafty beers. How about you, uh, I bet you write a column called hopping mad and we'll, we'll start doing some of that in there. So I was like, that'd be fun. So I started doing some photos of beer and ended up, uh, doing that column, which led me to a personal project I called the thirsty muse. And, uh, at the end of my podcast, a lot of times you'll hear me say things like, uh, your muse is thirsty or things like that. It's just a harken to back to what I used to do. But um, that got me into where I could shoot anything. I could go and talk to a brewer about his brewing process and all the, all kinds of different things 
outside of what the magazine was doing. And I really loved it, right? I didn't, I don't, as a photographer, I never liked doing weddings. I never liked doing senior pictures and things like that. So I, it was fun for me to do more editorial type photography and talking with artists. Um, that's, that's just really, that's how it all started. Now the, I'm not at the magazine, but the magazine's gone actually. We don't, none of us are working there anymore, but um, I still have a lot of contacts in the music industry uh, for that from, from my time there. And it just, made sense i just really enjoyed it and i get to, i still get to take pictures of booze which is fun because i yep. can use it for the show and and i i paint a lot of it as you can see you know and yeah um just made sense something i really enjoy yeah I, I, I find it interesting that you've kind of married the two art and and the beverages and um and it's kind of like you know i'm thinking um you're like the artistic version of uh, tea with Gary V, you're like um, whis <laughs> whiskey with Michael, <laughs> right? And 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 I know I know on Gary V's um, one of his books, he talks about um, he actually like talks about the idea of doing a podcast show or whatever and drinking tea. And talking about tea and all these different kinds of teas, as well as like um, everyday world events, while drinking their while drinking their tea, and I think kind of um, you've done something great with alcohol as well. And I want to know uh, when you're getting alcohol sponsorship for your <laughs> for your podcast. <laughs> I think we're close. I do. I think we're close. I was at a an opening at a brewery here in my hometown. And they have a, another brewery in Cincinnati, which I'm in Ohio. So uh, I'm about 90 minutes, 90, I'll say 90 miles away from Cincinnati. So they opened another place here in my hometown. So I was at a soft opening that they had and I got to talking to the owner and the founder and they were like, yeah, let's do a podcast here. That'd be fun. So they're in there. They know I always have a lot of their beer on the show and, uh, you know, somebody throws me a six pack or whatever. I, I'm not going to tell them no. <laughs> yeah, well, and 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 those bi and those big deals. I know, I know. Joe Rogan makes a lot of money out of his sponsorship, um, and, th and that's the thing as well. You know, you're saying with your retirement, like if you're got another ten years, if you keep doing your podcast for ten years, in ten years' time, you'll have such a body of work, and 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 you know, like I find it. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone's going to become Joe Rogan, but like he started. I think that podcast's been around ten years, and and now he's like he's a multi multi millionaire. Yeah, um, yeah. And sure, he does other stuff as well, but um, the podcast is a massive um, yep. <laughs> income stream for him. <laughs> and um, you know, I think if artists can some some way share their work through podcasts, and I think the great thing with podcasts for artists is it creates community like you know um because i can't i've you know i've got a few artist friends in adelaide but i've got to travel down the hill and all that and it's like you know half a day but if if, if you have some kind of um online artist friends or you create your own community with people that are doing what you're doing all around the world i think it's a really powerful thing and, and you know you it is help each other it is in fact you earlier on we were talking about um, how the pandemic has changed how I create my art and how I market and all that kind of stuff. And 
the pandemic actually forced me to look beyond my local artist community and say, okay, how can I get so-and-so on the show? And, and I had you on the show for, for one of the episodes and you know, that was impossible. I couldn't fly all the way to Australia or pay to have you flown all the way up here just to, just to do a one hour podcast. And I think it fits well with my overall format for my podcast. Cause it's, it's a lounge feel. It's mm. uh, think of the, the jokes that we always hear, you know, uh, a rabbi, a priest, and so-and-so walk into a bar, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, this is, what if a yeah. painter, a musician, and a uh, dancer walk into a bar? <laughs> you know? And that's yeah. that's what it is. It's not that we really talk about whiskey and, and beer and highlight it. It's just, it's more like, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the show. This is what we're having in the studio. This is what our guest is having. Let's talk about why artists don't make enough money. Yeah. You know, it's just a, a, I just threw a topic out, but it, it could be anything. You know, why do you paint? Why do you, um, whatever. And it, it's not, it's not really directed at a particular person, so to speak. And, and a lot of my guests, they'll come on and they're, they're, uh, they're the inspiration for the, the, the podcast. We'll talk about them a little bit, but then whatever rabbit hole we can go down, that mm. sounds like it might have some value. That's where I want to go. I want to dig deeper. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, I learned that really quick interviewing bands. They get asked, like, you you go to an event, one of these big festivals, and there'd be, like, 12 bands on the bill. And they're getting interviewed, like, every half an hour. And I'm listening, and I'm listening to all these other uh, journalists, and they're, they're all asking the same questions. Mm. It's, you know, when did you start playing? Um, how long have you played? how long have you been endorsed by so-and-so, you know, how did you get your band name? You know, is that your real name? You know, that sort of thing. And you could almost see the emptiness in their soul, right? It's like, yeah. When, when someone would say, how'd you guys get your band name? They're like, oh, yeah. you could, you could read that somewhere else, you know? And that kind of pushed me to dig deeper. I was like, okay, how can I, how can I do an interview with somebody that gets to ask the same questions. All, how can I be unique? Right. And I'd go in and I remember asking, um, one particular bass player, uh, a question about well, what, what was the last pizza you had? He's looking at me funny. He's like, <laughs> nobody ever asked me that. I, like, well, I want to know. I think my readers want to know, you know, so he starts talking about pizza and then that's when it's time to listen. You know, and I yeah. started, I started going, okay, what's, what's he talk? What's he going to say here? And he, he started alluding to the fact his sister hated this pizza and that pizza. And they never ordered pizza a lot when they were kids. And I went into that. I started going down that rabbit. hole. I was like, well, does your sister hate you? You know, <laughs> just instead of asking questions that these guys are used to hearing, you start hearing them tell stories about themselves. And that, that to me is a much better interview for somebody who doesn't know the artist very well, or they want to learn about the artist. And it's kind of one of them things where you just kind of play around and say, what, what can we figure out that's, that's a little deeper than just 21 questions? And that's what I loved about it. And again, that's what led to the, the lounge feel of my podcast. And, you know, let's have a drink. Yeah. Let's sit down and talk. I mean, it doesn't always have to be alcohol either. It can be anything. Uh, Paul and I, my, my co-host, my regular co-host, uh, we've talked about having coffee on the show, and he hates coffee. I'm starting to think he hates everything that has more. He doesn't like alcohol either. No, he doesn't. No, it's it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a bad influence on him. I'm always pushing something on him. So, 
Yeah. So, so, so while we're on pizza, I'm going to go deep. I'm going to go deep yeah. here. You've inspired me to be a Hi, great Turbo interviewer. Brew. You've inspired me to be a great interviewer, so I'm going to ask you, does pineapple belong on a pizza or not? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I yeah. like. If you don't like pineapple, <laughs> honestly, if you don't like pineapple on a pizza, we can't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no, all... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. Because um... I do. My kids, my kids love it. Yeah. Um, and, and so with, uh, I've noticed on, on a technical aspect of the podcast, I was really interested because I know people talk about niching down and all this kind of stuff. And, and I noticed on Instagram, you have your Michael Wharf page, which has your artwork on the progression of your artwork. Yeah. But yep. you opened up a separate Instagram account just for the podcast, the All Walks of Art podcast. Yeah. Do you wanna? Can you explain to me like the logic why you wanted to break those two apart? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wanted to share more of what I was doing that was directly podcast related, and it can still be art related, obviously. But and that's what I want it to be. But with the podcast. Uh, Instagram account, I feel like I can share the pictures, the behind the scenes stuff, and it's not going to clutter up a lot of the uh, the paintings that I might share or some, because somebody might follow me as Worth Studios on Instagram just to see what I'm working on as a painting or maybe some behind the scenes of me painting or that sort of thing. I don't want them to have to fumble through a lot of other pictures that may not mean anything to them. Now, at the same time, I had a pretty good following on the thirsty muse Instagram account. So I rebranded it. That's all that was. That's why there's so many people there. I've had it for a while and it sat dormant for about three years before I went back and said, okay, I'm going to change it to all walks of art and see what happens. And I've lost quite a few, honestly. I, I don't know if it's just dead accounts that are finally dropping off or what it is. Or maybe people hate podcasts. I don't <laughs> It doesn't yeah. really matter. Um, but it's a good place for me to, kind of you know i stepped away from photography as a as a working photographer mainly to um focus on on being an artist and only using photography for for me instead of everyone else so the podcast instagram account gives me the opportunity to take pictures of booze and put it on an account that says, okay, this makes sense. His, his show's a lounge feel, so he's just sharing what they drank on the show or whatever. So it just makes more sense for me. Yeah. I actually have, believe it or not, I have uh, Worth Fine Art, and I also have Worth Photo, but both of those I never use. Oh, those. right. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, um, because I listen to a lot of podcasts about, um, you know, just about marketing and, and things like that. And and in the YouTube field, like, see, I've got this thing is I do, I have been doing live streams on YouTube, but I also try and do kind of like um, a bit of, uh, you know, mindset stuff, get your head, get your head right, and also other stuff, kind of technical stuff. And like, there's some that would argue they need to be on separate channels. Um, and then someone like I was just listening to Gary Vee the other day because someone asked that similar question and he's just going kind of put it all into one. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I really don't know what to do in terms of that, but, um, I, I just thought it was interesting that you broke it down and it's, it's understandable if you're looking at a stream and you're a, and you're 
podcasting is your thing, you're into podcasting, they would just have your podcasting thing and they didn't have you as an artist popping up as well. You might, they right. might be, yeah. I don't know. So it's, uh, I don't know if any way is better, but um, yeah, I, th- I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I, I think, I think for Gary, for what he does, uh, he's the brand there. He's the brand that brings everybody in. So that makes sense. But I, I also beg to differ. Does he have, does Vayner Media have its own? Does, does any of the other companies he owns, they have their own, you know, he's, he's not, this is the, for me, this is the trouble with niching down. I think a lot of people misunderstand the whole niche idea, niche, niche, whatever you want to say it. Um, if, if I only want to say I'm an oil painter and that's it, well, that completely ignores the fact that I'm an artist. And as an artist, I draw, I paint, I might take pictures to get references. I might sketch to get references. Uh, I might talk to other artists. You know, I think in, in my mindset, my niche is art. My niche is how do I combine all these things into my universe, right? My, uh, just the, the, the brand of me. Right. And I think a lot of, a lot of folks just get hung up on the idea that they got to be so niche down that it's got to be one thing and one thing only. And your one thing could be broad mm. and all the things that the topics are your sub layers. Those are the things you draw people in on. Cause I have, I have my art buying crowd, right? They buy specific art and I have people who want to learn how to paint. So I have students and collectors on both ends. I can't market to both. I can't throw all my marketing material at both of them and expect them both to get it. So my niche is I'm an artist. That's it. Nothing else. You know, if it means I play music or paint and draw and uh, take pictures with a camera, sing in the shower. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I think it's, I'm an artist, you know, and and that's, that's my niche. So I, I think a lot of other people, can probably do the same if you're if your niche is playing music you're a musician yeah you know if, if you want to have videos that teach how people how, how to play piano and maybe some that how to sing or whatever it those are your sub niches i think yeah. we've gotten too I, I think we've gotten too specific honestly online yeah. I, th- I think everybody's just too they're eating it up so much they think they have to be a, a professional specialist and yeah. <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. I don't think I could be wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard, I, I, I still haven't figured it out or think, or, or think that I have, but, <laughs> um, uh, I was listening to, uh, one of your podcasts a while back and you're talking about, um, I think it was one of, one of your podcasts It's a really great podcast. So if you're listening, go back to the all walks of art podcast, it's about making money as an artist. And, um, and you bring up that interesting fact that art takes a lot of time. And, um, and you said, you know, if you got, if you were getting an hourly rate, the amount of time you put into something, you know, you, you, you'd probably not be too happy with that. And I, and I know, and I know for me, like, God, I did, I'm doing this kid's <laughs> book in my spare time and my spare time, there is no spare time. So I'm doing it when the kids are asleep at night or in between lawn mowing jobs. 
and um, and so this kids book illustrating I've never done it before has taken all year and we're just kind of getting to the stage where we're thinking about wrapping it up getting the, getting the pages laid out and stuff like that um, I'm just wondering how do you how do you go about pricing something like that where something that something that um, because you enjoy doing it too that's another aspect like you know oh I don't want to charge too much because I'm loving doing it this is what I love <laughs> doing and like that's like that's the sucker artist like, yeah <laughs> just um, and and it does take a lot of time and charging an hourly rate's probably not the way to go but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on all that um, it's it's not as difficult as you would think uh, the way I would approach it is what are the other things you're doing as an artist to, to generate income, right? You start putting those all in as your operating cost money and your, your, you know, when I say operating cost, I'm also including your salary in that. Um, go through, look at, instead of looking at how many jobs you have to do and how much you have to charge per job to get the money you want, start looking at how many hours you want to work and how much you want to get paid in the year to do it. And then go back and say, okay, can I get all this stuff done? Is it possible? Can I, can I actually make this many books and still make this much money? And if so, how do I translate the number of projects with the amount of money that I want to make? Not so much I'm going to spend eight hours a week doing this for this client for the next year and a half. Cause that's, that's going to dig you up. You know, you, yeah, you're kind of discounting your time a little bit because you have other sources of income, but that's where you, you talked a little bit about passive income. And that's also kind of a, another tangent we could go on, but passive income isn't necessarily passive. It's also, you still have to work for it. You still have to put a product out there that people want to spend money on when you're asleep. And, you know, I think Gary says it really well. You're not going to end up on a beach smoking and drinking while your money's rolling in. It's what just not going about? to happen. What yeah. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> I, you know, but you, you, you still have to put some money in on it. Right. And, or some time in what you're doing. And, and I think the best way to describe it for me is how do I get paid to just wake up? How do I get paid to be me as an artist? and look beyond the hours that it took to finish that painting because that one painting might only be X number of dollars, but if I make prints of it, it's more dollars. If I can use it for marketing, it's an image I didn't have to create for marketing. Um, you know, all of my time matters. So in, in my experience, I have about 50 billable hours per month of time. So when I say billable hours, I'm talking about 50 hours a month in the studio creating something I can sell. All right. So everything else, all my other hours have to be paid out of those 50 hours that I'm creating. So how many paintings can I produce in 50 hours a month? How many products can I have in 50 hours a month? You know, what am I creating? What, what am I selling? And then that's where other things come into play like Patreon and 
the podcast and the YouTube channel and the Twitch and all that. Now, Twitch, again, Twitch is a little bit of a different burger for me right now because uh, I'm actually creating art that I can sell while I'm on screen. So I'm making money streaming while I'm creating something I can sell. And that's what I'm talking about. That little piece of artwork that I'm creating, it's like five inches square or 13 centimeters square. It's, um, I'm not going to be able to sell it for enough to feed my family. But if I can generate over a period of four sessions on Twitch, if I can generate some more money, that picture just became more valuable per hour than what it was if I just painted it and sold it. Yeah. And that's the concept I'm getting at. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a, an idea that I had. I'd really love to run past you because um, I come from a filmmaking background. And to make a film... You know, you've got the writer, the director, the art department, the camera operator. You know, you've got, it's a team. It's a massive team. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, because it's taken me ages to draw this book, um, and uh, I'd say about 80% or more of the illustrating the book has been taken up by me doing the digital colouring of each of the pages. Um, I was wondering what your opinion is of like, so if I did all the line work for the pages and had like a color palette to work with and I worked with someone else and paid them as a colorist, like they do in animations and things mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. then I would be able to, rather than doing one book a year, I'd potentially be able to do 10 books a year. Absolutely. Um, um, do, you, do you see that as a as a as an ethical way of you know, uh, proceeding <laughs> as an artist, or, or are you not really being a real artist if someone else is coloring it for you? you know? No, I, I don't see it that way at all. Because you know, we I think we forget in this modern era that Rembrandt did that. He had people working in his studio that would do certain things for him. You know, uh, in those days they didn't have tubes of paint like we do today. So you mixed your paint, you put it in a, a pig bladder, and then you wrapped it so that it wouldn't open up and you dropped it in a bucket or a pail of water to keep it fresh for a couple of days. Then you'd put some more out, right? So he'd have these studio helpers, these apprentices who were learning how to mix the paint the way he liked it, you know, with the right amount of oil, the right amount of pigment, uh, filler, whatever he put in there to create. And then there was even times where he would lay it out and say, okay, color that in with, uh, you know, raw umber or burnt sienna and I'll come back and wipe out the highlights and add some more darks. And, you know, there was even occasions where there's people who say that he never painted this painting. This was actually one of his students. He just went in and signed it. So, and that, that was very common. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci had uh, a team of like 400, I believe it was that worked with him uh, with the Medici family in, in Italy when he was doing a lot of projects for them. So he wasn't making everything. He was overseeing it. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's what you'd be doing as a book creator is you'd be overseeing, okay, here's the colors I want you to use. They could be Pantone colors. They could be whatever color you want. You can give them hex color, hexacode color, whatever they call that. Um, you know, this, this is the color of the skin. This is the color of the, the shirt, the cape, you know, everything. So, Ethically, no. I don't think it's wrong to do that, especially if it's if it's your design, it's your work. 
Uh, I mean, let's face it, even Marvel did it, right? Uh, Stan Lee couldn't create everything by himself. So there were artists brought in to do this and that, and there were multiple versions of people who did Spider-Man and uh, all of it. So It's a you know. really interesting thing. Like, and It's great that you've got the art history knowledge. Like, you know everything about art history. It would seem like, you know, you've got such a, um, a good knowledge of it. And whereas I've got no knowledge of art history at all. Like, you know, um, I, w I only went to art school as a filmmaker. I didn't learn about um, painters and illustrators. And, and so, like, that's really interesting to hear that. And it kind of makes profiting from your art feel like it's achievable um, if you can set up a system like that. I mean, I, I know I was kind of um, doing a... Um, because because a lot of people around me tend to think no one can make money as an artist. So, so, so I'm kind of doing Google searches on artists which make lots of money. And I, looked up, yeah. I think that Damien Hurst is like, he's like ridiculously wealthy. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculously wealthy. And he has a team of about 80 people. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That yeah, and he put, a, he put a, I don't want to cuss, but he put a, he put a shark in formaldehyde. We talked about this on one of my episodes. It's like, right. and, and Paul got on me. Paul was like, so you're judging his art? I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, but that's not for you to do. And and I kind of see that. I mean, this, this is where the whole subjectivity of, of art comes up. It's, you know, it's a luxury. It's not something we really need. But then again, Paul and I disagree on that too because he, he thinks we need it. Uh, I I need it. I think everybody needs it. They just don't know they need it. But it's not. It doesn't put a roof over your head, right? So it's not a necessity. But yeah, I mean, it's there's artists out there who make just insane amounts of money for what they do, and they may not even do much with it. There's another artist I can't think of who he is, but uh, I had to laugh when you were talking about your background was in film, and and I have this knowledge of artists and stuff. I'm sure you feel the same way about Kubrick and and some of the other uh, directors and things. You probably know way more than anybody should about filmmakers. <laughs> so, you know, it's just one of the things. And that just about wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to start talking, I'd love you to leave me a voice message. All you have to do is tap the link at the bottom of the podcast description and you'll be able to leave me a one-minute message there. It could be a question, your thoughts, praise, outrage i don't care i just want the attention and i'll play the message back on the show and i'll catch you tomorrow at the fork in the road